I'm Adam Pedalberry. I'm Barry Worthington. I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Paul Thorpe. This is the Progress with Unity podcast. Wigan Athletic 1, Exeter City 2, and here is the reaction. Well, a little bit of deep analysis from myself. First half, second half. I thought in the first half, we missed the ball around too much. I really did. And the second half, we were more a lot more urgency. And then I checked the stats, and I was very surprised to see that in the first half, we actually passed the ball less than what we did in the second half. That was my little theory out the window. And I think sometimes with football being such an emotional game that you get wrapped up in the moment and you think you're being ponderous and slow, which for me, I think we were. Especially, well, let's start at the beginning. First 10 minutes, I thought we could have gone two up. Teller has got a great effort with an header. Good save from their keeper. And then a, a really crisp free kick from Asgard again. The keeper pulled off an even better save. And then they break away and score basically against the runner play. And then we seem to lose our, our way. And there was a lot of passing at the back between Charlie Hughes, Charlie Good, Charlie Hughes, Charlie Good, Charlie Hughes, Charlie Good. Now, I'm all for that because listening to Maloney after the game, he says we've got to be patient force openings, and I agree with that, but it was just the pace of that passing was extremely slow. I thought at times it casual as well, but the biggest problem for me, there was no movement from the rest of the team. They were static, so there was nobody moving about, nobody showing for them, and without any doubt whatsoever, Matt Smith was a massive miss. I think he needs a good telling off because we did without him for three months. We just about found our feet without him. He comes back, plays three games, we're back in the Matt Smith ball, and he gets sent off. We just show how valuable he is to our team. After Maloney did what he had to do, made three substitutions, brought on Johnny Smith, Kelman as well, Charlie Kelman, and suddenly there was a lot of movement going forward. Getting back to that emotional side of football, in the man of the match poll, both Charlie Kelman and Johnny Smith were almost neck and neck. Maloney's comment regarding possession across the back, looking for openings and being patient. Yes, I agree with him, but can we just snap it up a little bit? The one thing I really noticed is, and I've noticed this a lot this season, when we play three at the back, you obviously lose a player sort of in the midfield. And with Hughes, Good and Chambers, and Chambers I don't think is a left centre-back, I think is a left wing-back. But when we play Hughes, Good and Chambers, there was so much space in front of them because Scott Smith and Baba weren't working well enough together. And if you have a Matt Smith, Baba sits a little bit deeper, so he covers that space on the end of the box and can sweep the ball up, play it sideways or backwards, which I don't think is a problem at all because ultimately we will be able to keep possession more than if we try and do these passes up top. So I'm, I'm fine with when Baba passes it sideways and backwards because it does help the team. But yesterday there was way too much space on the end of our box. Aitchison had a really dangerous shot couple of minutes in before Asgard had any of his chances. I think uh, Carroll had one, Harris had one, Cole had one, and I think Isa, obviously, for his goal. They were all from range, and there was no pressing. But I think we play our best football with Charlie Hughes and Liam Morrison at the back. The one thing I just want to touch on quickly was Isa's goal. It came from, I think, Babradico passed it to Sean Clare, and there was four players in between Sean Clare and Chambers, who was stood in the centre circle, and he tried to pass the ball to him. There's four players. The ball hadn't even reached Chambers, and Niskanen was able to intercept it. And when Niskanen gave it to Isa and they were running, 
Charlie Good and Luke Chambers have got the backs to them running towards our goal. And that doesn't happen if Liam Morrison's in the team. He would be able to run out and he would put Isa under pressure or Niskan under pressure. Yes, you might be able to pass around them, but more likely you're going to be able to clear the ball up and get rid of it. But there was way too many defensive problems yesterday and a lot of it was caused by the space. But Malone, obviously we'll get onto the subs in a, in a moment, but Maloney's halftime subs, I thought, thought worked really well. Told Scott to sit a little bit deeper, being more of the, the person to clear the ball up and it did cut the space out outside the box. So that was my biggest takeaway yesterday, just the first half defensive disaster. I wouldn't say it's a defensive disaster necessarily. Long-range shots, obviously, you can score. You can score for them and, you know, it's one of those, if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win the raffle. And to be fair, there are occasions where I think we maybe need to hit the shots because our long shooting has, has been very good this season, often without deflections either. But they didn't have any clear-cut chances, I would say, you know, where they, they broke through us. I think my concern was more going forward really we just didn't everything seemed a lot slower not as crisp as it has been in a couple you know a couple of games recently particularly the away games for some reason you look at Peterborough Barnsley uh, Northampton it's still on difficult pitches at times we look very crisp in our passing very fast in our passing it just wasn't there in the first half it kept breaking not breaking down as such but we got into a position and passed it back. The only time really we looked dangerous was when we could get James, uh, Jones isolated on that uh, left-hand side. And obviously early on he put a couple of good crosses in and he was willing to give it a go and do something rather than be safe. And I think when we tried to play too safe, I think that's when we, we struggle a bit. And yeah, I think I agree that you know, you lose something when you play Charlie Good at the back in terms of maybe quick passing. But, you know, if he can roll it into Matt Smith, he doesn't have to do that, does he? Um, I think he's in for a different reason. I don't think Sean Maloney expects him to be Beckenbauer, Bobby Moore or Charlie Hughes. I think his role is to organise and to do the dirty work. Maybe there's room for a three so that Chambers doesn't have to play as a a left centre-back and maybe utilise him more as a wing-back. But it's difficult because you then say, well, who do we lose to to do that? Because I think the two Smiths have to play, Asgard has to play. So it's always difficult. But I think we ended the game positively, didn't we? And you could say, arguably, we were lucky not to get a point in the end. So that's what hopefully most people took on with them. But as we know, that's not always the case. We all, Some fans look for all the negatives rather than the positives. You're talking about uh, attacking, though. They, they played with the back three, three big lads, and you'd have expected Josh McGuinness to, uh, I'm not saying have a bit, some joy against them, but perhaps put himself about a little bit more than what he did yesterday. It was, he's, he's been not too bad lately. I thought yesterday he did struggle. And I think the difference when Kelman came on, Charlie Kelman, it was more like a, I know we talked before, Adam, about him being like a, a Shane Long type of player, where fast, off playing on the shoulder, and he scored his goal a bit like that, didn't he, when he came on, Humphreys had a, an effort, the keeper made a save, but he was on it in a flash and just poked it to the side to give himself a little bit of room and, and smashed it in the back of the net. Yeah, very promising, and he to me, he was full of energy. And when we had him and, and Johnny Smith on, and I just thought when them two came on at half time, it, it gave us a massive spark because there was a lot of energy in the team. I do think as well in the first half, it was more of a front 
four-ish. Godot was more on the right, Jones on the left. Asgard was sort of floating and McGinnis. But I think in the second half, when we brought Chris Zeon and Johnny Smith, Callum McManaman, Humphreys, Kelman, we kind of went to a front six and it was a real containing. So anytime we were trying to whip the ball into the box, any deflection to get it out, any header, there was a Latics player there to pick it up. And that wasn't happening in the first half. So it could be a little bit more relentless. And Charlie Kelman, I think his close ball control is really good. We saw that before the goal when he was trying to wiggle through on the on the right-hand side, did really well. But it was the way we set up in the second half was much better. And that's how we really should have set up the game from the start. But equally, I like that Maloney made the triple substitution at halftime. Obviously, he wasn't happy with it and he made the change. And I would rather have made those changes at halftime than just try and see if we can get somewhere else in the second half with what was working. But I think we started the first really well. We started the second really well. We just let the setback go. But the second goal for Exeter, I was really frustrated with it because when Niskanen picked the ball up on the right-hand side, it was five seconds that he was allowed to stand on the ball. Chrissy stood and watched him. And I'm not really blaming Chrissy because a lot of players stood and watched him, but C's got to close him down. But Manaman would have closed the guy down, probably sent him into the advertising boards to get rid of it. But Niskanen was allowed to hold it. Chambers was playing at left wing back, was marking Aitchison. And Jordan Jones was left centre back, marching, uh, marking Niskanen. Sorry, it's Pierce Sweeney was on the ball. And when Niskanen was played down the right hand side to our corner flag, Jones followed him and it left Moisa completely isolated. There was nobody around him at all. Once Isa got the ball, he was allowed to run from outside the box to our six yard box. Charlie Good was backing off, backing off, backing off. And Chambers had turned his back on Aitchison wasn't looking at him and the ball falls to Aitchison as a goal. And I think that like defensive basics are what cost us yesterday. I think attacking-wise, we did well, ultimately. Asgard's header was really good. The free kick was exceptional, forced a really good save. Even Godo's header towards the end of the first half was really good. But we just let ourselves down with the defensive basics. And if we'd have covered that, a draw would have been a pretty easy result to get, I think, against Exeter. I do think they're a very, very good side. And we contained them well for the most part. We just switched off again. Yeah, I think I think uh, you've got to give Exeter some credit because you know they got they got into a really good position early in the season, didn't they? Playing a particular way, I think they got a couple of injuries. They were very unlucky against us. I don't think they were unlucky in the cup game. I think we probably edged that, but the league game, I went down to that game and it was a smash and grab. And then because they lost the confidence, I think they went on a thirteen-game winless run, and then came back recently, and they've picked up some excellent results. You know, not just us. So I think we've got to give them a bit of credit. But if we'd have played to our potential, if we'd have played like we did against Peterborough, Barnsley, and Northampton, I don't think they'd be able to live with us because the you know they're not of that calibre. Uh, so my my view is that we will underperforming yesterday and you could argue that they were slightly above their performance levels and and I think I think what we've got to do moving forward is to start start to think of it's a bit of a naivety I guess but they are young players they're learning on the job but I do think that we keep making the sort of similar mistakes don't we like Charlie said about a lot of the back it off when, when we're at our best we hit them early don't we we, we push them and we hit them um, which we're not so the games we lose, we don't do that. A couple of things to just to pick you both up on. Well, not pick you both, both up on, but just to say. Ten clean sheets, Exeter, this season. Now, they've conceded a lot of goals, so it looks like they've learnt as the season's gone on. And yesterday I was watching, I was count- every time we attacked, I was counting, there's at least eight outfield players in the box. At least eight. 
and most times it, everybody was in the box. So the crowd in that penalty area, to, you know, so the ball's coming. We put a lot of crosses in yesterday, but it wasn't finding anybody because it, they were crowded out. Based on what you said there, do you think they... Because we knew what Perkins was like. I mean, he, even when he was 36, he was the fittest player. I wonder whether he's he's done... They, they do look a very fit side, don't they? You know, they, 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 the midfielders get back very quickly and get back into position. And you wonder whether Perkins has a... Because I think he recognises the importance of work rate and energy. Yeah, possibly. One thing with that as well, talking about that getting back and getting up and getting back, in his post-match briefing, Sean Maloney said he didn't want, he doesn't like to turn it into a basketball game where it, we're attacking, then they're attacking. He likes us to be more controlled because... The element then is it's going 50 50 because we have an attack, then they have an attack. We have an attack, they have an attack. And he'd sooner, I understand that totally. And that's a Martinez philosophy, weren't it? Where we had to control the game by being in possession of the ball. Well, I'll give you one example where we didn't. And it was the best game I have ever seen in history. Uh, West, West Ham United. That was a basketball match. <laughs> it was a basket case match, match that I think, Adam, not basketball. There's so much there's so much on the line, wasn't there, in that game? It, you know, it was a, a cup final without being in a cup, you know, that was a cup a, final league game. I think that's the most exciting game of football I have ever witnessed. Yeah, you know, yeah. for pure drama that day. It was unbelievable that. Quality wise, uh, it Martin, was rubbish. <laughs> but, Martin has his substitution at half time. We're losing 2-0. I'll take off the midfield. Fabulous. That's Maloney-like, though, isn't it? The substitutes. Just put the players on and you can make a difference. Maybe forget about the formation. <laughs> I, I think I think we've got ourselves an absolute gem of a manager. I don't understand any criticism going his way. I just think he's an absolute gem. He's working so hard for the club, both on the training ground and doing other duties as well. He's, I think we've got ourselves a gem. And he mentioned yesterday in his post-match again about the fans need to be a little bit more patient. It must be getting to him, you know, listening to comments coming from the, the side. Just get behind the team. We're mid-table. This is what we've asked for. This. We've asked for this. And we was never going to get anything better than this anyway this season. Let's just enjoy it. That bloody West stand. He stands as well. I'm- I would definitely get more upset with a loss if I watched the game and thought we stood no chance against them. They dominated us. We have so much to learn. But I think that game, it was a winnable game. We just, we played so far below what we know we can do. So I'm, I'm all right with it. And we've won three of our last five. So I think we're okay. And if we win our game in hand, we go above Exeter anyway. But I think Exeter are going to be a comfortable mid-table team. So there is perspective. It's just frustrating to obviously lose in the way that we did. But I think that against Oxford, I do think that we can put up a good fight and I wouldn't be too surprised if we came away with something there. We'll come to Oxford in a moment. Charlie, let's just wrap this Exeter game up. The team, we started with Tittle, Clare, Hughes, Good, Chambers, Scott Smith, Adico, Jones, Asgard, Goddard and McGuinness. The substitutions, we made three at half-time. Kelman, Johnny Smith and Chris C came on for Josh McGuinness, Barbara Adico and Sean Clare, who, uh, I got my figures wrong, he did have... 10 bookings, but one of those was in the EFL trophy, so it meant that he wasn't on a two-game suspension. Maybe he probably wishes he might have been, actually, with the way he plays yesterday, but that's another talking point. Anyway, also coming on, Stevie Humphries for Marshall Goddard on 64, and then Callum McManaman for Jordan Jones on 80. And I was surprised Jordan Jones lasted so long because he got booted up and down that pitch. 
The statistics for the game, Latics had 63% of the possession with 13 attempts with four on target. Exeter, eight attempts with three on target. Corners, 11 to six in our favour. Committed 13 fouls, Exeter 14. Two yellow cards apiece, a decal and chambers for the Latics. And the attendance of 9,431 with 581 noisy Exeter fans making their way up. And I did think, you know, for the number that were there, they they, uh, they really enjoyed themselves. They made a lot of noise. So uh, the referee, Alex Chilowski, uh, the US guy who we mentioned last week. My only criticism with him really was the fact that his timekeeping seemed a bit off. I mean, in the second half, especially the second half, with substitutions galore, uh, two goals, physio on the pitch, and it, loads and loads of time wasting, and he added on just four minutes, of which he played five seconds over. I mean, come on, there must have been at least six or seven minutes there. Anyway, to round it off, the man of the match was voted for by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter. Very close run thing. Two second-half substitutes, Johnny Smith and Charlie Kelman, with Charlie Kelman being selected as the Progress with Unity podcast man of the match for the game against Exeter City. A goal-scoring home debut. Very well deserved. And congratulations to Charlie. Bit of club news. Uh, Charlie's our long watch guy, Joe Adams. Looks like he's he's, uh, ripping trees up at Markham. Yeah, well, Markham, I didn't actually realise how much of a playoff charge they're on. They're, they're only four points off the playoff, the final playoff space at the moment, and they've got a game in hand, so it's looking like a real possibility that they could be getting it this season. But when Joe Adams went to Markham, I wasn't too sure how much game time he was going to get, but he's played pretty regularly, and he's picked up five appearances now. They've won three of them, drawn one, and lost one, and I'm pretty sure he's been named man of the match in two of them as well. And yesterday, when they played Sutton United, he put a ball through, which was scored, but it was just deemed offside. But it could have been another assist for him because I think he's got two or three now already. But I was speaking to Shrimps Online and Joel Shooter, who I believe is a podcast producer for the Shrimps Trust. And they were both saying that Adams breaks up the play really well. He receives the ball back and plays in beautiful balls behind the, the centre-back lines pretty often. And they're saying that the lad looks another talent that managed to get over to the Mizuma for a stint. He fits the profile we're looking for in a 10 very well. And his work rate and energy is a massive boost for us because he drives the ball really well. He's starting to really refine his quality into more killer moments now after being quite raw for a couple of games. So it's good to see that he's doing well. And if they do get into a playoff charge, that's going to be a really good experience for him. I do think he's going to be involved at some level for us next season. And then I'm not sure on his contract, maybe he's only got one year left, but how we extend it. But outside of that as well, Ethan Mitchell's extended at AFC Filed. And I think pretty sure they're unbeaten in the league with Ethan Mitchell in there. They're really happy with him. James Carragher at Inverness is back after injury, but they got knocked out by Hibernian in the Scottish Cup. And Aaron McHugh was at the Ibrox, didn't play. But Air United got knocked out by Rangers in the Scottish Cup. And Luke Robinson as well on loan at St. Johnston. They just lost today against Dundee United, I think it is. So, yeah, there's, a, there's quite a bit going out on loan. But Charlie White at Rotherham still hasn't played a minute after two games. So that's the one that's not really working. Talking of Mitchell and Adams, both highly regarded at the Latics, especially Joe Adams, who I think we've, we we do realise we've got ourselves a, a, a good player for the future, alongside Josh Stones as well. And I'm sure I, I read somewhere that they think Mitchell could possibly be the next Charlie Use as well. You know, that's that's the sort of breath they're talking about him in. Let's look ahead to Tuesday evening. Uh, in the build-up, I've spoken with Oxford United fan, 
Alfie Wilson. So let's have a listen how that went. Tuesday evening, we're off down to Oxford, and I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Alfie Wilson, Oxford United supporter, making his return. We spoke in October. How are you doing? Yeah, we did. Yeah, not bad. Not bad, thanks. Since October, quite a lot of things have changed uh, with us. Uh, but yeah, still doing all right and uh, maybe broadly optimistic. You, you just mentioned that things have changed. I mean, we'll talk about players in a moment, but your manager's changed. I know at the time he was yeah. uh, waxing lyrical about William Manning, but he was a little bit concerned. I think there have been a couple of rumours knocking about whether he might go or not. But he, he went a few weeks later. Well, I think about three weeks after you played us. Are Two you weeks. Saying... Two weeks to the day, yeah. Des Buckingham. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, Buck- Buckingham's in, Manning's out. Most of the fans have uh, calmed down by now after Manning kind of left him in, in not the best of circumstances. But yeah, Des Buckingham is our new manager. He's an Oxford boy from Cowley, which is which has brought him a lot of favour with fans. There's been a couple of issues which we were just talking about before we started recording, actually, because likely in Manning, Des Buckingham is also a handsome young English coach from a pure tactical background and is a tactically orientated coach that I think a lot of fans have kind of penciled him as a continuity hire but Buckingham and Manning's styles of play are quite different so since Buckingham's come in over the last kind of two and a half months there's been a few a few trying results whilst we're trying to embed a new style of play whilst trying to maintain our playoff push. Yeah I noticed that inconsistency is what I'd say you you know you've been yeah. uh, your results have been a little bit up and down but you're still chasing the playoffs. You're still in there with a good shout. Yeah. Is, is he going to? Is he the guy to to get you in there this yeah, year? Yeah, it's difficult because I think when you're in kind of a playoff race as, as opposed to an automatic promotion race, if ever you hit kind of a rough patch of form, there's a tendency to panic or to think that you've blown it or that you've dropped too many points. Whereas the reality is, is that you're in the playoff race because you are inconsistent and all the other teams around you are inconsistent and they're going to drop points as well, like Barnsley have, like Blackpool have. I think really it's just about, you know, making sure that we're winning probably half of our games left. Um, And then I think that should probably be enough to hopefully scrape us into fifth or sixth. I know that like in seasons past, it's uh, the kind of benchmarks finishing in the playoffs in League One has been about 80 points, but I think... We can all agree that it's a fairly weak league this season. So hoping that about, yeah, maybe like 73, 74, 75 points should do it. It makes for an exciting end of the season. And if you get that inconsistency ironed out in mid-April and you go in in a fine bit of form, you've got every chance of yeah. going up then. So it's difficult because um, we've got um, we've got quite a tough February and March. And then our April, quite kind. All of the teams that we're playing in April, apart from Stephen, are during the bottom seven of the league right now at the minute I think it's kind of just making sure we stick at it in, in February and March and um, make sure we get enough results to keep at it but also which would kind of buy Buckingham some more time and you mentioned Buckingham again though you, you said he's from Oxford a local lad he's sort of sprung onto the scene from from nowhere as far as outsiders are concerned Wouldn't, hmm. can you give us a little bit of his background please yeah of course so uh, Des Buckingham retired from football at a very early age and like is quite common with a lot of managers you see in the EFL went into coaching at a really early age as well. He was originally a coach at Oxford United with us, so under uh, uh, Chris Wilder for a bit when we were in non-league and then just into League Two. So there's a few lads still at the club who he's coached in the past, like Simon Eastwood when he was with us 12, 13 years ago, but also Sam Long, our right back who's, who's been a one-club player for us. And then 
over the last 10 years, he's kind of bounced around various coaching jobs abroad, really. So he's been part of City Football Group, so taking jobs at Melbourne City and Mumbai City most recently. And he's also had a few international jobs as well. So he's been part of New Zealand's youth setup, managing their under-20s and their under-23s and did really good jobs with them. So, yeah, it's it, it's quite a quirky appointment. I think that he's he's been semi-famous or in the media in the past because there aren't many English coaches who go abroad. <laughs> basically and take roles abroad but each time we've had a vacancy in the past yeah because he's from Oxford and because he's as I say known as kind of a hot young coach he's been rumoured with us but uh, yeah this is uh, this was the time that he decided to take the job. Tommy uh, before we start recording this your your fourth highest transfer fee as well bringing him in. Yeah rumoured but yeah basically it's been reported that the, the compensation we had to pay Mumbai to bring him in was about 300 350 grand which after signing Will Goodwin from Cheltenham this January just gone which was rumored to be 400 grand yeah makes him our, our fourth most expensive signing if you want to call him that um yeah one one and two are Marvin Johnson and Dean Windass back in the back in the late 90s um but uh yeah it's 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 it, no it's it's um yeah we've spent uh, some hefty sums of money since November um, which has made me a little bit nervous, um, but uh, it's it's a good sh- good sign of ambition. You, you mentioned Goodwin though; he brought in from Cheltenham, a good player. Who else have you brought? You've made a couple of signings, haven't you? During yeah, so we it's been out of necessity, really. I was I was of the opinion that like the key area we needed to strengthen because I was very happy with kind of our our back five, as it were. But uh, in terms of goalkeeper, James Beadle got recalled by Brighton and they've sent him on loan to Sheffield Wednesday instead. So we've brought in Jamie Cumming as on loan from Chelsea, who was a really good goalkeeper for MK Dons a couple of seasons ago to Liam Manning as hopefully a kind of like-for-like replacement. He got injured in uh, for the last two games, but he should be back in the Wigan game on Tuesday. The, the back fours kind of remained uh, the same, really. We've managed to add a couple of reinforcements in midfield, most, most notably Jamie Tete. We've lacked a kind of... We haven't needed to a lot of the times, particularly under Manning, but it's really good to have the option with Matete now as a kind of destroyer at the base of midfield, someone who can break up play and play as a six. When we signed him on deadline day, the club tweeted that, well, he was... Uh, he was part of Sunderland's promotion-winning side in 2022, and he was part of Plymouth's promotion-winning side last season. What does that suggest for this season? Which I, I didn't really like. But uh, the, the key thing is that um, in about, just as Buckingham took charge, really, we, we had an injury crisis in attack. Throughout December, we basically didn't have any wingers, really. Or at least we didn't have any resistant wingers. So Kyle Edwards picked up a long-term injury, even though we've re-signed him. Josh Murphy got injured. Uh, Stan Mills, who we had on loan from Everton, ruptured his a muscle in his knee. And so he's gone back on. We've terminated his loan. And he's gone back on loan to Everton. And Mark Harris has had to kind of carry the burden as a lone striker throughout all that. So has needed some support there. So a lot of the reinforcements we've brought in in January have looked to address that and attack really to bring in an Owen Dale on loan from Blackpool as an inside forward Tyler Bury is kind of a much more raw winger and also signing Will Goodwin who hasn't played yet because he's we signed him with a minor injury from Cheltenham but he's a really good option to have as well because we've often struggled against teams that defend quite deep this season and having an option who's more of a without wishing to be too reductive more of a target man mold is um, obviously quite helpful with that just quick word on Matete. I remember him making his Sunderland debut against us, and he should have had three red cards in that game and never got boots. Yeah, he is, I mean, you... fine by me. Under Carl Robinson, when when we were kind of good for three seasons, we kind of alternated between playing with two eights and a ten 
or with uh, a six and two eights. And the six was a was a fella called um, Alex Gorin, who's now left the club and signed for Forest Green. And he got a record on his debut for Forest Green. And it was kind of a running joke amongst Oxford fans that he got booked every game. I genuinely think he did nearly get booked every game <laughs> for us. No, I mean, as cynical as it sounds, you know, like that can be part and parcel as the job as playing as a six. So, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely good to have a more, more physical option in midfield than we yeah, currently have. I agree. You need, I, think, I always think you need an enforcer in, your, in the middle of your, your, your of the park. You do. He was at Fleetwood Wormsby before he went to Sunderland. Matete. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him there yeah. as well. I think he should have got a sense off against us when he were playing for them. So yeah. I think destroyer is probably the, the correct terminology for him. Is that, yeah. I don't know. I always, when I say the word destroyer, I always, I don't know if that's like a backhanded compliment when I say it. I mean it as, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah. Good signing that, that really good signing. So looking ahead to Tuesday then, whether you'll be going for a little bit of revenge against us or just taking it as, uh, just another game in in the in the uh, running towards the end of the season. How do you see it going? How, just can you give us a score prediction as well, please? Yeah, I'll, I'll go for one-one. Just because uh, I know you guys have had a, a, a an uptake in form recently. You're going well again, as we were kind of discussing before recording. We don't have the best record at home to Wigan, uh, and I think the only time we've beaten you uh, at the Kassam was during the COVID season where no fans were allowed. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, I think I think with all of those kind of superstitions, but also the current vibes, for want of a better word, word at either club, yeah, I'll go for a one-one draw. It's been part of fans' frustration is that under under Buckingham is that we've kind of had a natural drop off in form from our kind of really fast start under Liam Manning, but uh, a, a crucial part to Manning's success under us at the, with us at the start of this season was clinicality. We uh, we had uh, a quite extraordinary ability to score goals from the edge of the box. <laughs> which served us quite well in those early few months, which have dried up a little bit recently. So I wouldn't mind some of that clinicality coming back with us either. Alfie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck for the rest of the season, and I'm sure you'll make the playoffs and enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Best of luck for you guys too. didn't realise that when we beat them last time, we handed them the first league loss in quite a while. And even after the loss to us in a few competitions, they were still winning games after us. They were in a good run. But I was surprised when Liam Manning left them and and Des Buckingham didn't really know much about him. I know he came from overseas, but like Alpi was saying, he's an Oxford boy, so he's really bought into what they're doing. But I think Oxford are really still finding the feet under him, but they're still within a, a playoff march. So I think they're in seventh at the moment. And they're only a couple of points off Stevenage, who do have a game in hand on them. But they're very much still in the fight. It's just, I expected a little bit more from Oxford this season, to be honest. They're one of six teams to score 50 or more goals in the league. So they're very good at that. But they're just conceding a few now. And they're on a they're on a pretty bad run right now. Because in the last five, they've drawn three and lost two. And they haven't won at home since Boxing Day. But overall, they have got 15 wins, seven draws, nine losses, scored 50 conceded 38 and they've got 52 points and they've got a few key players as well they've got Tyler Goodrum I really like Cameron Brannigan has got uh, seven goals and six assists and Mark Harris nine goals and one assist so they're going to be a very dangerous team but I expect us to hopefully get something out of it and Jamie Tessie do you know he's one of them players that I hate unless he plays for you I'd love him to play for us He's, I mean he called him the destroyer didn't he he is he's an absolute animal I remember right. him making this Debut for Sunderland against us, and he kicked us off the park that, that game. So, you others, uh, Kavanagh, well, we signed him, he was one. 
Michael Brown, we signed him. And the other one I remember, but I don't think we'll sign him, uh, Pearson from Preston. He was filth, wasn't he? But he was dirty on the sly, wasn't he? Do you remember when he took Nick Paolo? Right, let's have a ref watch. The referee will be Jeremy Simpson from Canberra. He's a former Premier League and FIFA assistant, and he's now a select group two referee. He's been on the national list since 2012, and he's refereed the Latics 16 times in the past. The last time he refereed the Latics, it was Cardiff away last season, which ended with one apiece and a Wilkeen late goal. His card watch for this season, Jeremy Simpson's taken charge of 13 games, issuing 53 yellows, three reds, and he's awarded one penalty. That's Jeremy Simpson, referee the trip to Oxford on Tuesday. Yeah, we've met 15 times previously. We've uh, got the better of it. Won eight, drawn two, lost five. Every meeting has been in the third tier. Apart from the COVID admin season in February 2021 when we lost, as Alfie commented on, 2-1 at the Kazam. You need to actually go back to the 23rd of April, 1983. was the last time we lost at Oxford in front of a crowd. Obviously, our, our most famous win was the 7-0 win on the 23rd of December 2017. I was there in my Christmas jumper, a record away win in the Football League. But there was also a very entertaining encounter a couple of years ago where I think we won 3-2 with a last-minute James McLean goal, or a late James McLean goal. I think we went 2-0 up early on, and they got back into it, and we won with a typical late goal in that season. Jeremy Simpson, Paul, the referee, something else in that game were uh, the last semi refters away at Cardiff. Miguel Aziz with the floor, which uh, he got booked for picking up, if you remember, and then subsequently uh, got, got suspended. And we never saw him again, did we? We keep seeing his brother instead. Yeah. Alfie's gone for a one-all. I think he's being a, a little bit diplomatic, though. I'm tempted to go for a one-nil Latics win with uh, Charlie Good having a... Fabulous game at centre-back. And Charlie Kelman with the goal, with that clinicality. So Barry's going for Oxford United nil. We're going to have to see it one. Good to see that the uh, new word is uh, sneaking in, isn't it? The clinicality. I missed yesterday's game. Looking forward to seeing some, some more of Charlie Kelman. I think you're right in 1-1 in one, one being a slightly diplomatic score. But as always, we don't predict 1-1s, do we? We predict Latics to win. So I'll go with a 2-1. I think I'm... Still very confident, even after that sort of disappointing result, because we've been away at Derby, away at Bolton, away at Peterborough, and picked up good wins. So for this game, I think we've definitely got it in us. We've just got to play, obviously, a lot better, be more defensively better. But my prediction for the progress with Clinicality Podcast is a 3-2 Wigan Athletic win. I think what we need to show after the previous game is a bit of bounce-back ability. I think we will. I think we've been outstanding away from home this calendar year. I think we've played our best football away from home. I could see a couple of changes. I could see uh, Kelman certainly coming in for uh, McGuinness and then it's going to be Matt Smith coming in for a deco. So we'd have the Smith-Smith. I think the other players who came on did really well. But for me, they are players who are better off the bench. And I think that will suit us because we'll go 1-0 up, they'll push, and then a couple of our subs will break free and we'll win 2-0. A few games on Tuesday night. Well, a few games, a full programme. Uh, Bolton, yeah. Wickham, Burton, Carlisle, Chelsea, Lincoln, Cheltenham, Blackpool, Exeter, Derby County, Fleetwood, Reading, Lane Orient, Northampton, Oxford, Wigan Athletic, Peterborough, Port Vale, Portsmouth, Cambridge United, Shrewsbury Town, Barnsley, 
and Stevenage, Bristol Rovers. So a full programme. We're sat in 14th place at the moment. Reading, have, have they still only lost one game right, to about the last 12 or 13? The game against us. Yeah. Yeah, they've been on a really, really good run. And I think Ruben Sellers, the job he's doing, is one of the best in the league, if I'm honest. I don't think he gets all the plaudits, but the, the obstacles Reading have had to face like, don't like us. I think that Maloney and Sellers have done two incredible jobs to keep these two teams pretty much safe. I think they both will be safe. Anyway, we'll be back on Wednesday with all the reaction to our trip to Oxford, and we'll be looking forward to a journey down the A49 to face Shrewsbury on Saturday. So until then, up the ticks and come on. Up the ticks. Come on.